After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi, everyone. It's Raghu back with Mind Rolling. We're at the end of the year. And we have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, being able to get up the Be Here Now network in the middle of the summer. And boy, now we're going into six, seven months. Um, we're all really proud of what we've accomplished all of the podcasts, all of the teachers, all of the thought leaders that are on the network. Uh, it's pretty uh, satisfying to be able to share in the humor, in the knowledge, wisdom, and just that heartbeat that connects us all. It's, uh, it is a great, great thing. As it is at the end of the year, and it's a time of uh, giving, sound like a Hallmark card. That's horrible. Uh, but we are a nonprofit. That's the beauty of the, uh, we have the network, Be Here Now Network, under Love Server Member Foundation, which also hosts Ramdas.org, as most of you know. And so it's that time of year when uh, not only can you help support all sorts of different initiatives, and there certainly are tons of them that are really necessary and need our support. I don't have to go into them. They're in the news every day. But I think what we do here is unique and worthy of your support, or at least part of your support. And the fact that we are a nonprofit, a 501c3, Love Server Member Foundation, means that uh, whatever you do, do donate is tax deductible. So that's certainly an incentive that, uh, that I'm sure you all know and that I want to uh, mention. So whatever you can do to help us continue to be able to offer not just what we're doing here on Be Here Now Network, but on ramdas.org, everything that we do is made... Uh, possible by your support and is free. Um, obviously, we have a store where we sell books and uh, mindfulness kits and uh, t-shirts and all of that, as well as downloads that we create um, and with different subjects. And obviously, the uh, 
the retreats that we do, we put them in a bundle and we offer them out in case people want to have them wherever and whenever they want, not just a stream, a free stream from the site. So this is all only possible because of everyone's participation. And uh, first to thank everybody, and then obviously at this point in in the year, uh, this is uh, uh, my encouragement to everybody to do what you can to uh, support Love Serve Remember Foundation, and in particular, of course, right now with the Be Here Now Network. Just go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and you'll see the donate button and that'll go a long way to specifically support the podcast, the podcasters, uh, and uh, we share all of the revenue that comes in. So that's all I want to say about that. And again, thanks for your support. Uh, I also want to mention the HeartMind app. Uh, Go to HeartMind, one word, go up on Apple to the um, to the app uh, where you find all the apps and download HeartMind because, you know, there are some really valuable day-to-day things that we're uh, pushing out. I mean, you, you particularly these meditations, they're really fabulous. And, uh, in fact, I, I just, I've had in mind and, and at the retreat that we just came back from, in Maui with Ramdas Krishnas and Sharon Salzberg and Jack Cornfield and and more, um, there was a lot of talk around, of course, the reaction to the election and so on. Uh, a lot of confusion, a lot of fear, a lot of chaos in people's minds about what the future may bring. So I've been doing when I do podcasts now and I talk to different people. Uh, I am talking about what antidotes might you have for. Uh, all this reactivity and polarization that we have going on inside ourselves uh, relevant to, of course, what happened in the election. And, uh, I, for instance, I just did one with Lama Tsultramalioni, a great, great uh, American Lama who has a wonderful center in southern Colorado. Uh, you'll hear that'll be out in the next little bit. But uh, why I'm saying this is because she did a specific meditation. This, of course, was most particularly for me. I asked for it around anger on how to transform it. A beautiful little four or five minute meditation that we'll put out on the Heart Mind app. And and you'll be able to, uh, you can choose which stuff in the app that you want to keep in your little file on the Heart Mind app. It's really a fabulous way of kind of designing how to keep balance day to day. So uh, just a little uh, encouragement on downloading the HeartMind app. One word, HeartMind. And now this podcast uh, is a podcast I did with a man named Rob Bell. Uh, He's a best-selling author, international teacher, speaker. He has some interesting books. Like, it goes all the way from what we talk about when we talk about God to Velvet Elvis. <laughs> it's pretty wide range. And uh, Rob is a fabulous person, a great speaker. He used to be a, 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 a Christian preacher. I mean, he still does. And he, he's got the gift of the gab, Rob does. And he's got a really 
really insightful and quick mind. And then I noticed, like, on the book, there's advanced... Well, this book came out earlier this year. The book is called How to Be Here. So that's one of... I noticed it, and I went, geez, Be Here Now Network, How to Be Here, Ramdas's Be Here Now, it all seemed to fit together. So I really... um, was happy to get the opportunity to talk to Rob. And then I look and see a couple of the um, quotes from different people who've read the book. One was from Aaron Rodgers. He's the quarterback for the Packers, Green Bay Packers. And Aaron said, uh, this book helped me to get uh, live life with a deeper level of appreciation and to love people with a greater awareness of our connectivity. I'm going to start rooting for the Packers. I mean, that uh, that was phenomenal. Aaron Rodgers, who gets flattened on a weekly basis by these gigantic humans. Uh, and then, of course, my friend Pete Holmes, is is uh, I, I found out after I actually did the uh, podcast, is a good friend of, of Rob's. And um, any friend of Pete's is a friend of mine. Pete is a fabulous person. One of the great things in this book that I had no idea about that I that we share in this podcast is around the Japanese word for is which is called it's for what gets you out of bed in the morning. It's called ikigai. Okay? Ikigai. We all got to get our ikigai on get to get to find that thing that gets us out of bed in the morning and uh so that's uh, it's really uh, passion. Our finding our passion, and Rob talks a lot about this in the book, and and if, and we talk about it uh, in the webcast. We talk about boredom, cynicism, uh, some great great stuff uh, that uh, he is fabulous at elucidating and uh, giving real plain explanations uh, that really help. Uh, help us all move towards a real, a, a more meaningful life. Great insights in this podcast, folks. Rob Bell on the Be Here Now, on Mind Rolling, on the Be Here Now Network. So enjoy. And I'll see you next time around. Hi, everyone. It's Mind Rolling. And I'm back here with uh, Rob Bell this week. Rob, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be with you, and I love the name Mind Rolling. So good. <laughs> yes, it's a little bit of a, shall we say, uh, we just nipped it from uh, some beautiful Tibetan teachers. <laughs> who Mind Rolling is really what it is. <laughs> it's pronounced and. uh it, it, it's the garden of ripening, and uh, that's what we hope we're all doing, ripening here. So, um, Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, now, uh, Rob uh, is uh, quite well-known and has uh, a bunch of different books to his name. The most recent is, and we're going to talk about it today, Rob. Uh, how about this? How to Be Here is your latest book. And it's on the Be Here Now Network. Could it be any better than that, Rob? <laughs> it was meant to be. It was <laughs> inevitable. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, I'm just reading because Rob has Love Wins. I love some of the titles of your books, by the way. The, the Zim Zum of Love with Your Wife. 
what we talk about when we talk about God. And how about Velvet Elvis? I mean, I that I, I want to get that. Yes. I'm going to have to get your publisher to send me that. And there, the Velvet is actually, the Velvet Elvis you can see up there oh, is yeah, hanging there. up above my head. <laughs> there he is. Actual Velvet Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, Sex God. Everybody needs that one. Um, of course. <laughs> so, um, and Rob, you have... Um, a very uh, well-known podcast is, as well. I'm, I'm reading here, and uh, that's uh, something uh, we're going to put up on Mind Rolling so people can tune into your podcast. Great. Yeah. Well, listen, the first thing I always ask when I get with somebody, especially the, you're brand new to me, although I've read up on you and so on and read the book, is... Just give me a little bit of a picture, and I, I ask this of all the folks that I get together with, what are the triggers, what are the transformational points in your early life that literally put you on a path that you understood there was a hell of a lot more going on than uh, your ego mind and senses? That might be the best opening question of any interview ever. <laughs> Thank you. That is fantastic. Um, I'll tell you, I was, this was in, I was in a band in college and I was the lead singer. And then the band broke up at the end of college because everybody had to go get jobs. And... First, I was teaching water skiing like you do with a liberal arts education, and I volunteered at this camp I was teaching water skiing at. I volunteered to give a sermon, and I'll never forget getting up to give this sermon and taking off my sandals because I was so overwhelmed with the sense that I was on holy ground, that I was that my job was to create space where p people could encounter that which transcends the senses. It was a, and that the sermon was actually an, an art form that had been hijacked by a number of other things and needed to be reclaimed as the power of words to create new worlds, to help people have access to the divine, to that which is of, of ultimate concern. Yeah, that was a key moment whatever this thing is this space that's being created here this is what i'm supposed to do and uh it i i refer to it as being born again 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 <laughs> <laughs> like a a moment of profound and i think i was always somebody smarter there was always somebody who was more popular there was somebody who was a better student but, but there was some sense like oh, there's way more going on here, and I could do this little part, and it would get me out of bed in the morning. Mm. That's a de That was a defining moment for me. So when did this occur? How old were you at that point when you had that experience? This would have been early 20s. Mm. Um, I grew up... My parents would take us to church, and I always had a sense this this thing, this whole setup here with these people and these songs and these doctrines, this is supposed to be helping us access 
but it's not doing it very well. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was like a, mm -hmm. a frustration, like these people gathering to talk about the big things. This should be riveting. This should be electrifying. This should, this should make the hair on the back of your neck stand on end, and it doesn't. So I think I grew up with this sense, I know there's more. There, there's something bigger happening here, but I, beyond my own tastes, I need, a, I need a space or a tribe that can help me give language to it and access it. And I think part of when I stumbled into this art form of the sermon was, oh, maybe I'll just go, go on a quest and tell people what I'm learning. <laughs> mm. That's what I'll do. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I set out to do. And then it just kept getting bigger, wider, deeper, more love, more mystery, more transcendence. And that's how I feel to this day. I feel like I'm just getting started. It's and, really, really been amazing. Yeah. And and the thing is that you you really um, kept uh, true to your roots, which were obviously Christianity and being brought up within that. Uh, whereas, uh, like somebody like me, I was brought up in uh, actually conservative Judaism, not, not reform. Oh, so, interesting. Uh, yeah, so I really did go to the, you know, I I was brought along by my dad to the synagogue, and my memories of it were, um, gee, that usher had the worst breath I ever smelled in my <laughs> life. Good. Okay, I can still smell it today, so it was that <laughs> perdition as far as I was concerned. But um, of the choir and what went on uh, during those moments, um, I felt transported. And uh, and to this day, through, uh, of course, uh, my whole story of going to India and all of that, uh, mm -hmm. people who listen to this podcast know it real well, uh, but uh, that music or that sacred music, which I, I became involved with, that, uh, that became my route uh, to, um, to, as you say, a, a transcendent relationship with uh, with the path, with the spiritual path. Mm -hmm. So, um, were you doing? But were you led to any particular practices that uh, that ensued that helped you to uh, to be more focused? Well, you know what i I went in in my tribe that I came from. The first thing you do is you go study theology, and then you go get a job in a church. You know what I mean? Mm. It was like there was like a this is how it's done. Um, and I got a job in a church and I went to the front desk. I would have been 24, 25. And I said, could you please, anytime somebody is thinking about ending their life, could you send the call to my phone? Anybody in prison that no one wants to visit, could you please tell me about it? If there's anybody who's violent and they've showed up at the building and they're looks like they're in real stress, um, could you come get me? So the practice um, is not your normal practice, but my practice started with I want 
to I want the whole full experience. I want to see humanity in its highest and its lowest. Mm-hmm. So as a young pastor, I would sit with people while their six-day-old baby was fighting for its life in the intensive care unit. Um, I remember a woman's fiancé was killed in a freak work accident and arriving at her house to sit with her while she sat there in total shock. Um, and the, um, you know, the tribe I came out of, you pray, you read the Bible, you, you know what I mean? There were these very sort of, this is what you do. But I, I kept finding that it was in the depths of the human experience, suffering and anguish and joy. Um, one, after one of my first sermons, a older gentleman came up to me and he said, you need to go to AA. And I said, I'm not aware that I have a problem with alcohol. And he said, you need to go to AA meetings. And when they come to you, just say, I'm Rob and I pass. Because everything you'll learn about being a pastor, you will pick up in AA. (laughs) So I started going and sitting with people who had hit bottom. Um, So I had all these... I realize now they were forms of practice that I that I needed to help me see beyond the 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 rules and signposts of my tribe. You know, Ramdas has this great thing about a good tradition is like a catapult that propels you beyond the tradition. Mm-hmm. So I went through a very real questioning everything, throwing it all up in the air. Um, leaving it behind. Um, but it was, then we had started a church and the church got really big, like 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. So in my late 20s, I was a mega church pastor. Oh, really? <laughs> Sounds like it feels like a different life now. But it was only when I became the pastor of a very, very, very large church that it all sort of came crashing down for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of went through a massive deconstruction, take it all apart. I remember an Easter Sunday morning driving in to church thinking, this is what? A guy rising from the dead? This is the craziest thing ever. And I was supposed to give the sermon that day. (laughs) (laughs) Like I had just classic, uh, classic, you've been handed something by your tribe and then you have to leave the tribe and go out into the woods and go on a quest. Um, and then ever so gradually, I began to see that a, that a good tradition catapults you beyond the tradition. And there were all these images and practices, um, contemplation, meditation, Eucharist, that were there to help you connect with the infinite and the um, that of which nothing deeper can be conceived. That's um, I started to reconnect with my tradition from a very, very different place mm. and began to see the perennial traditions. And, oh, wow, human beings for thousands of years, we've been after the same thing. And there's this fantastic conversation and dialogue going on all across time and tradition. Um, and then things got really big and really interesting. 
That's what that's how I'd summarize it. And then it just got even more interesting. <laughs> well, one could call what you went through. Of course, Saint John termed it the uh, dark night of the soul. Yes. Went through yeah. That. Yeah. And but what's interesting to me is is when I asked you about what methodology you might have been using in your youth to get more f- focused on the path, whatever yeah. you want to call it. And and traditionally in in the East it would it is called karma yoga. You were doing karma yoga by being with people who are suffering deeply. You oh, you were doing that practice by which people uh, lose their self interest because they have mm. if they're at mm-hmm. all uh, have a shred of compassion inside them. They cannot no longer think about themselves when you're sitting there with somebody who's just had uh, lost a, a mate through a tragic yeah. accident or whatever. Yeah. So that is a real trial by fire. That is a real that methodology would be very difficult to just jump into. So it's interesting you had that opportunity uh, that uh, was presented to you and that you 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 fulfilled it that way. And, and that certainly yeah. has made you what you are today. Obviously, that's really great, yeah. Rob. Um, so uh, the book. Uh, how to be here. I, I just want to quote something from, actually it's from the end of the book, and sort of starting from the end rather than the beginning. So you're just talking about people who put in all the hours and save their money and they stay late at the office because you want to be successful, right? This is what the American dream is. Uh, but all that left us missing something. We were stressed distracted, busy, feeling like life was passing us by. We had a full schedule, but not a full heart. We learned lots of very valuable skills, but we weren't taught how to be here, how to be fully present in this moment. This is like reading, uh, you know, Be Here Now or something. How to not be be distracted or stressed or worried or anxious, but to just be here and nowhere else wide awake to the infinite depth and dimension of this exact moment. And you talk about that's what happened to you when you say that's what happened to me when I hit my head. I experienced something else, something so good and true and rewarding and satisfying, but I didn't know how to stay there. I realized that there were skills and knowledges and knowledge and practices and muscles that I simply didn't have. Hey, can you describe that that experience of what happened to you? I know... Uh, uh, yeah, I uh, I was uh, water skiing. I was doing backflips water skiing, and I <laughs> kept over-rotating, and I hit my head. And at one point, I got in the boat, and apparently I was making no sense. And my friends were like, oh, wait. And they asked me what day of the week it was. And I, and I, I remember saying to them, I have no idea. And then from there, I don't remember much, but I got a closed head injury, like a concussion, like a football player we get or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they took me to the hospital and my wife, Kristen, met us at the hospital and they did a bunch of tests. And then they said, just, you'll be fine. You just have a basic concussion, closed head injury. Um, and what I do remember next is being driven home and pulling in the driveway of our house and seeing it like I'd never seen it before. It was almost like I had a cellular memory. Like, I know this is familiar, but I'm seeing it 
like I've never seen it before. And I got a tour of my life. I kept asking Kristen, like, how did we meet? What's my oh, job? Wow. Um, it, it was like a peak experience in which time came to a grinding halt. It's a, in essence, what the closed head injury did was my brain was so busy plugging the wires back in, um, that it didn't have any energy for the future. Um, and it didn't have any energy for the past. So it didn't have any energy for regret. It didn't have any energy for worry or anxiety. My brain could only be, all it could do was keep up with just this moment. And so instead of like time and the endless tomorrow will be a repeat of today, it's like all of a sudden time went down. It had like depth. And um, I remember my wife made me a burrito and I could taste all of the spices individually and simultaneously. It was unbelievable. Mm. It was truly unbelievable. And then I remember they brought, we had young boy, our boys were young at that time. I remember my boys being brought into the room and seeing them as this like m m flesh and blood miracle. Um, the whole thing was like on, it was like electric. It was like a fireworks. It was, um, it was, it was, and that, that, that any given moment was the most interesting thing I had ever experienced in my entire life. And at that time I was, well, I would have been 30. We had started a church that had grown to 10,000 people. I was doing important, you know, important religious stuff. <laughs> I was, in, I was, uh, the ego was building an empire. We we were building a god empire. <laughs> right. It was like oh, it was almost like oh, I'm playing the wrong game. Um, it was a deeply, deeply disruptive experience. Oh, there's a whole, there's a whole nother world right here within this one. That's that's a million times more interesting. Mm. Um, so it was like convicting. And it was like being given a vision, uh, and it was disruptive, and it was like seductive. Like, what would it be like to live like this, but without the head injury part? <laughs> uh, so in some ways, the book is me setting out, how do you live differently in this modern world that at every turn bombards you with, with fragments and bits and bits? pieces that aren't related to anything with no coherence or larger glue or trajectory or narrative. It's just bits and pieces. Buy this, vote this, be angry about this, be stressed about this. Mm. How do you live in a different way without just moving up on a mountain where detaching live present in the midst of all this? Mm. Um, yeah, it did. It, it turned everything. It, it changed everything. I'm still recovering. <laughs> I'm still recovering, or, as we all are. Or still uncovering. Yes, yes, well said, mm. well said. It was like, you know, the difference between, like, states and stages. It was like a, it was like an experience, and then you realize, oh, I don't have the the muscles, the practices, the, I haven't done the work to be able to stay here. It was almost like tasting something and then being told, Oh, you would like more of this? Well, here's how you plant seeds to grow the vegetables, mm. to prepare them to have another taste. And that was going to take a while. Mm. You know, Rob, 
this is so um, directly analogous to our, and I, when I say our, our Ramdas, myself, Krishnadas, I don't know if you know him, Danny Goldman, people like that that were mm-hmm. that met uh, Neem Karoli Baba, who our guru, who we met in India back in the day, mm-hmm. and m- many people. Try, well, what was that like? Can you describe that? You just described it. You just described it by virtue of getting uh, concussed, basically. <laughs> yes. Okay. I mean, it. So, and and this thing isn't, you know, what we got and what you described, which is really the same thing. Uh, being completely at one in the moment, without discursive mm-hmm. time and space, no longer existed. There was no forward, backwards, nothing. Right. And and just sitting in an essence, whatever. It's very difficult to call what that is. Yeah. Uh, th- this th- who we were with a body that that was centered in on a twenty four seven basis, and like you, we had the experience, but it took decades to actualize right. that to right. learn to get the as you say learn the t- tools to to get the yeah, the muscles quite right to be able to to process all of this stuff. But what it really points to, and as you were describing this i was just thinking this really points to the reality of these experiences and they can come in other guises they you know they they did come for us as as you know with or in ramdas through psychedelics at least pointed the way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were just experiences um they do come in so many uh, different guises but it's the same thing it's the same thing that absolutely takes you out of uh, how you think everything is. What that reality <laughs> yes. that you've built up and said, this is it, this is real. And you were completely, uh, we were hit over the head with a uh, a psychic hammer. You were hit on the head by a body of water a few times, whatever. I was hit on the head, no metaphor needed. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> So uh, it's an amazing thing and an amazing reality. And for everybody listening, uh, that's because uh, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, people go, OK, well, you met this being and, you know, that's great for you. But what about us? Where are we going to meet someone like that? You don't have to. It is not a physical thing. We were fortunate. Right. But it's here's an example. Rob Bell just gave you an example. Of, <laughs> uh, obviously, it, it may be a little bit of a dangerous example, so don't go out there and water ski and flip your head up. You know, don't do it. But uh, yeah, it's That's it's funny. pretty amazing. Um, you know, it's yeah. Go. It's, it's interesting the people that I have interacted with who have had similar tastes but the codes of their tribe or simply the mind because it couldn't fully process and analyze it discounted it as less than real mm. and not a glimpse of real do you know what i mean yep yep it's just so interesting how and how many people they were not in a setting where where that sort of experience it's like the modern world has so elevated that which can be quantified on a spreadsheet yep. that uh, eventually it's almost like people you don't lose that you don't use that muscle and it sort of atrophies. But it's interesting to me when I, I do these events and and when you create enough of a safe space where people can talk about their experiences, how many people will mention 
similar peak connective boundary dissolving types of experiences, but they didn't really know what to do with it. Their mind couldn't rationally explain it, and they're not going to share it with their family, brother-in-law, boss. You know what I mean? And so it just sort of gets pushed to the side instead of, no, 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 that moment was more, that's actually the thing you're, you want. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate that uh, mm-hmm. we just get conditioned in that way. And some people manage to break out of it or are broken out of it. Usually, yes. and it's it's around yes. suffering, of course, that's yes, one major absolutely. thing. absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, um, or it can be just divine intervention in your case. <laughs> there was divine intervention <laughs> there. Uh, so, uh, yeah, who's to tell how, how it happens, you know, for somebody one way or another. But I do know many people who do have that, shall we call it, ineffable experience. Yes. Uh, and then cannot really um, maintain the stream. They They keep, instead of just surrendering into it, they resist it, and uh, and sometimes that becomes a very difficult lifetime, actually. I've, I've known a number of people. Um, I want to talk about something I found in your book uh, that uh, I, I'm kind of really happy you addressed because it's a very, very common issue uh, for anybody, and um, I think it's the cause of a lot of very destructive behavior and particularly with people who are on the quote-unquote spiritual path and whatever that path may look like for them, this is a central ingredient. And I, it's, it's a little, this is a quote that you put in the book by Robert Irwin. I don't know who he is. Who is Robert Irwin? Uh, he was a pioneering artist in Los Angeles, especially in the 60s and 70s, but he's still going uh, around perception and phenomena and how we experience the world. Hmm. So he would lock himself in his studio for four months and take a white canvas and make a line across the white canvas. And then after four months, he would move the line up a half inch and paint it again. (laughs) And (laughs) he was part of a group of avant-garde artists that were essentially exploring how do we experience the world and what are the stimulus? And if you keep removing stimulus to all you have is a canvas and then you remove even paint and just put a bend in the canvas, what will that produce in a person? Mm. Um, So his work raises all these questions about perception. And uh, there's a series of interviews, 30 years of interviews with him, were edited together, and some people think it's the best book about an artist ever, but it's it's pretty shocking uh, and, and stimulating. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. I put a quote in there. Yeah, and I'd like to read it because it sets off what we're talking about. Yes, uh, in it, the power of the plates is. Uh, <laughs> yes. In the everyday world, you're just plugged into all the possibilities every time you get bored, and that's what I really want to get into with you. You plug yourself in somewhere. You call somebody up. You pick up a magazine, a book. You go to a movie, anything. And all of that becomes your identity, the way in which you're alive. You identify yourselves, yourself in terms of all that. 
Well, what was happening to me as uh, as I was on my way to Ibiza for eight months of retreat was that I was pulling all those plugs out one at a time, books, language, social contacts. And what happens at a certain point as you get down to the last plugs, it's like the Zen thing of having no ego. It becomes scary. It's like maybe you're going to lose yourself. Of course, sounds like an acid trip too. And boredom then becomes extremely painful. Extremely painful. You really Uh. are bored and alone and vulnerable in the sense of having no outside supports in terms of your own being. But when you get them all pulled out, a little period goes by and then it's absolutely serene. It's terrific. It just becomes really pleasant because you're out. You're all the way out. Oh, I, I love that. I, you're yeah, all the way yeah, out. Yeah, I, uh, this fantastic. Uh, and, um, and, and in your chapter on, on boredom, uh, boredom is lethal. Boredom says there's nothing interesting to make here. Boredom reveals what we believe about the kind of world we're living in. Boredom is lethal because it reflects a static, fixed view of the world, a world that is finished. Talk about boredom and uh, and its potential effect on us uh, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, well, it was really important to me in the book to show this contrast between a static and a dynamic understanding of the universe, that for many people the world just is, and then, and then oftentimes the metaphors that get used are very spatial, like you have to go out there in the world and find your place, which is very different than seeing that the world is unfinished and we participate in the ongoing creation of the world. Uh, it's a very, very Jewish notion of uh, the divine is looking for partners to take mm. part in the ongoing creation, which then just becomes a very different way to see things. And... Uh, when you then change it from, I guess you're supposed to go figure out where you belong to what what are you curious about? What would get you up in the morning? What do you find interesting? let's let's go after that. Um, that just becomes a, a totally different set of questions. And I'm struck with how many people you start asking about their path and their life. Oftentimes there's a common thread. There's something they have some sense, like this is who they are and what they're here to do. And somebody often along the way told them, but you can't make money at that, or that's not a legit career, or their tribe had some judgment about whatever it was, and so they went down a different road, and now they actually are bored. Um, so you, I have this, <laughs> this year I've been doing this tour, and it's shocking how many people have been coming to my events and then quitting their jobs. No. And I've been doing this whole joke about my my batting average is very impressive on job quitting. Um, <laughs> but one of the things I wanted with this book is to help people see the universe as a dynamic, ongoing reality. And you get to create something with your life. And that just raises a whole different set of questions and possibilities and life is difficult enough you might as well be doing something interesting something that might even bring you some joy um, and uh, that might mean living in a smaller house and having less bills that's okay people do that from time to time 
It might mean living really simply for two years and then traveling. Um, that there's what, what I find so counterintuitive and bizarre is how we have more tools for empowerment, connection, luxury, entertainment. We have more of these tools at our fingertips than ever, more of these empowerment opportunities. And yet, how many people in the modern world, when they talk about their life, talk about it in terms of disempowerment, the thing that is happening to them? Mm -hmm. um, I'm on a treadmill. I feel like I'm a number. Uh, I feel like a cog in the machine. These are all the images and metaphors of disempowerment. Um, and I think this is actually a great disease that we need to talk about more openly. Um, and how many people make good money and they're completely bored out of their mind? And that's not, no, we, let's do it differently. Let's mm. rescue people. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's w one of the things I think we, that I, I'm very passionate about talking about. Mm. And then I think there's another aspect of boredom uh, related to a couple of things, uh, not related to work but related right. to just day-to-day -day life, even leisure right. time. And right. people, there's, there's this, uh, well, the Tibetans would call it the realm of the hungry ghost. It's not enough. You're yes. bored and you're not satisfied. It's not enough, which leads to, of course, all sorts of different addic addictive behaviors. Uh, and and yes. it doesn't have to be big ones where you, you know, you're an alcoholic, a sexaholic, or or anything like that, but it can be, you can be a TV-aholic, <laughs> you can be a sports-aholic. Or, or the cell phone, and I think or, actually yeah. what the cell phone has done, and I've been, I've been paying very careful attention to this recently, you're at the doctor's office, and the moment the person at the counter says, the doctor will be with you in a moment, and you say, thank you, and they say, you can take a seat, we'll be right with you, and you sit down, the neck tilts forward, <laughs> and the hand brings the phone up. Um, and you see it in traffic, mm -hmm. and you see it all walking the dog now. I'm noticing um, the second the dog doesn't need 100% attention, the person reaches in their pocket and pulls out their phone, um, that this phone is filling in these gaps all day long. It's filling in these gaps 732 times or however many of those little gaps there are. Mm. And it's, I, I think it's actually doing something to us physiologically. So the moment we experience a lull and an absence of stimuli, you grab the phone. Yep. And it's actually those moments, those gaps, uh, previous to having a computer in your pocket where your mind settled it calmed, it wandered wherever it wanted to wander. And uh, I, I just think we're going to see later, there's going to be all sorts of data about what this did for anxiety. Yep. Uh, and, yep. and there's a form of, there's like a little adrenal hit. It's like a low-level addict who just gets a little hit and then another little hit. Yep. And I think all those tiny little hits are adding up to something really destructive. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I think now that I feel like I'm in an AA meeting for um, cell phone <laughs> addiction and everything you just said, I am completely, I, I'm going to stand up and say, 
I am a cell computer smartphone addict. <laughs> I go to the doctor's office. I do sit there and I pull out. I, I am that. Okay. It's like become a default for us without even realizing it. Oh, there's a, there's a break. Oh, well, I wonder if I have any emails. Yeah. Oh, uh, it, yeah. yeah. I love to surf. I just got out of the water actually uh, a little while ago. But I, I love to surf. And what's interesting about surfing is you paddle out away from land and you sit way out in the ocean and you are on something else's timetable. Either the waves come or they don't. And it's beyond your control. And you are untethered um, from devices. And even a couple of hours on a regular basis and I notice an hour in the water, oh, no devices. This is nice. <laughs> it, but, it, it really does something to me. Yeah. But Rob, there are waterproof cell phones. <laughs> okay. I you... saw that advertisement and I thought, no. <laughs> the first time I see a guy on a board answer a phone, I'm going to paddle over to him and say, <laughs> I'm sorry, but on behalf of the universe, and all that is good, fair, and just, please leave <laughs> the water now. <laughs> uh, there's another aspect, too, and, and this is where, uh, which saves me from having that addiction, uh, is, uh, is meditative practice. Mm -hmm. Because uh, one of the ways in which you deal with boredom is meditation. In fact, you if you haven't hit boredom in meditation, you're not meditating quite right. Yes. And uh, to encounter and make friends with it through meditation, uh, and I, I suggest this to everybody who listens to the podcast and wherever I am and speaking with people, that that is an absolute uh, uh, standard platform to be able to get balanced in your in your life, to be able to, mm -hmm. as Rob says, to be how to be here. That's that's a starting point, because just this little thing that we're talking about boredom, and we're talking about our uh, preponderance of of going outside of ourselves to entertain ourselves instantly, uh, which is part of a, just a part of our culture. And like you say, let's see what happens in years to come with, you know, uh, kids growing up with this. I mean, I see my my granddaughter, who know you know, she's six months, whatever, two years, she knows how to operate a cell phone better than many people I know, okay, older people. Um, so we're going to see what happens with that. But uh, certainly, you know, that that uh, med meditation is definitely something uh, that will absolutely help uh, making friends with uh, boredom. Mm -hmm. um, so. The other thing that's in this particular chapter, actually, that also I'm going to stand up and I'm going to have to say I'm also uh, part of <laughs> AA on. Um, this would be Cynics Anonymous. Okay, cynicism is different from boredom, but just as lethal. Rob, cynicism says there's nothing new to make here. Often cynicism, and I love this line, presents itself as wisdom, but it usually comes from a wound. It acts as though it's seen a lot and knows how the world works, shooting down new ideas and efforts as childish and uninformed. Um, 
I, by the way, I, Ram Dass wrote a, a book on aging, conscious aging, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I read the book, and then I went to him, and I said, you know, this is a terrible book. He said, really? Why? <laughs> I said, because every damn thing in there that I'm denying aging, you put in there, and, and, and now I'm really uptight. <laughs> so it's the same thing here. Sinison points out all the ways something could go wrong, how stupid it is, and what a waste of time it would be. Waste of time it would be. Cynicism, cynicism holds things at a distance, analyzing and mocking and noting all the possibilities for failure. I mean, this is, uh, and, and uh, uh, for instance, there's there's a show on television. I, I'm sure you're familiar. I don't know if you like it, but it's my favorite show on, 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 tele- on HBO. Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, a cynic, this guy is like beyond it, right? I mean, he's way yes. beyond anything like that. And I'm, it's like outrageously funny towards me. And again, there's another thing with Ram Dass. And I say, boy, you got to watch this Ram Dass. This is, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> this is like, he's absolutely, uh, you know, so uh, humiliating of himself on a day-to-day basis and everybody around him, it is just awful. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I love this guy. <laughs> and I, you know, and I'll stand up and say, I, I don't know how, I especially, I had a, a, a label in the 90s in L.A., uh, in 2000s, actually, till about mid-2000s, uh, a world beat label. And uh, what it, com- the field that it competed with and within was uh, New Age music, what they called New Age music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how I used to go on about the vapid New Age movement, okay? I mean, the cynicism level that came out of me was, I, I'd sometimes look at myself and go, hey, that's pretty shocking. You're tr-, you know. And the other thing about cynicism is you think you're being funny, right? Which is like Larry and all that. Uh, and actually, it, uh, that's why when I read, read this paragraph, I just read, uh, it's not funny, and it actually can have a deterious... Uh, effect on your soul talk about it a little bit would you wait wait wait. say that last part again cynicism you think it's funny i have felt (laughs) at times like i'm being funny the way that i'm making fun in this case of new age music yes and and the way it's polarizing it can be very polarizing and that polarization can have a deterious is that the right word i think effect on your soul and that's the interesting thing Sometimes there is the role for the court jester who points out the absurdity of certain things. You know what I mean? There is there is this dimension, uh, John Stewart saying, hey, by the way, the emperor has no clothes. Mm. So there is a longstanding cultural role of somebody who points at the r- ridiculous, absurd posturing of power, uh, let alone the abuse uh, of it. But uh, what I was trying to get at there is, is this deeply personal, if, if I can just shoot these things down, then something within me is like, oh, good. You don't, you, you don't have to actually go do the thing you're here to do because that's always going to de- demand some element of risk and you might get your heart broken. Yeah. And yeah. I just kept meeting people over the years 
who prided themselves on cynicism, like you know, I'm just, I'm, uh, I'm just the cynic. I'm just, and then you start probing, and you find out there was often great pain there. They tried something and it blew up in their face. Um, they they fell face down. They 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 got fired, and now it's like that which you hold at arm's length can't break your heart. Um, Mm-hmm. And and the world will break your heart. Uh, and, and part of the um, part of sometimes the the power of the court jester, or um, or there is a, a a powerful dimension of cynicism when it points out, hey, this whole thing is it's very quantum. We're dealing with probabilities, and A plus B doesn't all always equal C, no matter what the modern world told you. Causation may not be the ultimate engine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like good people get assassinated and uh, honest, generous, compassionate people get their hearts broken. Um, horrible things happen. And that sometimes we need that to like, it's like a release valve to remind us all. Yes, you're right. The whole, th- which always brings you back to this moment and the precious, beautiful gift that this moment is. Um, but it's you would find it fascinating when I do uh, this tour I've been doing. I talk about these ideas in the book. That section, the room, just I always see people nudging people. They're sitting uh, next. To <laughs> <you>. <laughs> it's a little very common thing that we're dealing with all of us. Yeah. Uh, and how about more so today with the deep polarization in this country, the the absolute uh, horrific divide. Right. Uh, which we're all having so much trouble with. Uh... Right, right. And I actually think this pain right now, I think you're going to see a new generation of politicians. There was, uh, I went down at 7 a.m. to vote last week, mm. and the line went out the front door, around the corner, turned the corner, turned the corner, went all the way around the building, mm. three sides and down the street. And it, people were had babies in their arms. It was old, young, every color background. It was Fairfax District, like right in the middle of L.A. Mm. And I was so overwhelmed with the all these people of all these differences, but everybody gets one vote. And and I was watching people come around the building. It's like when you're following a line around a building, and every time you come to a turn, there's that like, do I am I gonna am I gonna wait in this line, you know what I mean? There's that thing that you do, like, yep. or am I just going back to my car? Yeah. Yep. But I was at the corner and watching people come around the corner and not, I was watching their eyes for about an hour. Not one person came around the corner, saw that the line went all the way down the alley. Not one person gave that look in their eyes like, I'm out of here, this is ridiculous. Yep. It was like, um, no, you vote. It, we're all in this. And yep. I started thinking, we're, I think we're going to get a generation of politicians that are going to rise up and they're going to start from that voting day feeling when you you have that swelling sense of, oh man, we're all in this together and we do have a country and votes do matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're going to see candidates who start with, this is a holy sacred thing, our common life together. So you can't receive lots of money from shadow corporations. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. And you over there, you're just spouting. That's just theater. You're not serious. You yeah. don't even know the policies. Stop it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think yeah. they may yeah. even start with 
the anti-cynicism, which is this is a, a really important thing we get to do together and a number of things have hijacked it and now I'm calling it out. No longer. Um, I think you're going to see that. I think it's going to be really exciting. That's my prediction. Fantastic, Rob. Uh, to, <laughs> amidst the depressive uh, yeah. crap well, that's going on. Well, you think about it. High school students yeah, going are out marching and, yep. in Los Angeles this yep. week. Yeah. So you high school, let's just keep repeating that, like a mantra. High school students are walking out the front doors of their school and marching in protest. When was the last time high school students were politically engaged? This is, this could get really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah really. Ram Dass has a famous quote that's been used, uh, uh, you know, on social media recently as a result of all of this and before. Uh, in fact, we're we're doing a, a film around him right now, uh, around this quote, we're all just walking each other home. Oh, my wife quoted that at an event we did recently. She she um, quoted that, and the, it was such a magical moment. Yeah, really, really. Yeah. Um, we're getting to the to the end of the show, but there's one thing that I do just want you to just uh just talk about for a, for a minute and uh i think it's it's something i never heard of and i was really taken by it it's uh ikigai yes ikigai yeah because it's very prominent in the book yeah yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> the japanese have this word ikigai which which uh essentially means that which gets you up in the morning sometimes it's translated reason for being but it's this uh, this awareness that you must have something that gets you out of bed in the morning. And if you don't, you're dying, even if you're living. And that you're a key guy, your reason for being, your reason for getting up in the morning will probably shift over your time, your lifetime. Somebody near you gets sick and you got to take care of them. Um, you go back to school, uh, You whatever it is. Mm. But, but that you pay careful attention to this and it is a it is a it is a work that you are endlessly in the process of and that there's a fluid dynamic nature to your key guy um because I, I remember a couple of months ago a woman in miami stood up and just said i'm a lawyer and i'm so tired i feel like i'm at the end of being a lawyer and i'm in my early 30s and she had this tremendous guilt and shame. Like, I went to law school, I, I've been a lawyer, but I just, no, it's okay. It's okay. You were a lawyer. That chapter apparently is ending. <laughs> now you're going to do something else. You're working out your guy. That's totally 100% normal. Um, oh, sorry, my dog is barking. That's, a, that's okay. I've got four of them right here. I'm, <laughs> I'm so shocked they haven't started. <laughs> <laughs> um but I found that if it's almost like it relaxes people to think about, okay, you're in this season. Uh, what does it look like? Um, what what are you here to do now? Let's do that for a while. Um, and then you'll know when that season ends and the next season starts. Um, but what would get you out of bed in the morning? Mm. And that's different than where's the money or who would be impressed or what does your family of origin think is the best – what what is it that you go? Yeah, if I got up in the morning for that, I love how Abraham Heschel said, "I didn't ask for success; I asked for wonder." Mm. 
Beautiful. And that's the, the, the great crisis for many people is they were taught how to be successful, which is very different than what would it look like to wake up each morning with a sense of wonder and awe about yeah. this day? Yeah. That's what's interesting to me. Yeah. And being here in the moment, being here now, yeah, uh, that is so crucial. And, and there are many paths, uh, uh, Rob, uh, you certainly outline uh, many of, of the ways to um, change your habitual patterns here and at least recognize them to be able to just hang out in the moment so that you can have uh, that uh, ikigai. I love that word. Uh, ikigai. Uh, it's funny. Get I your was ikigai speaking. on. I think that's what we should call this podcast. Get your ikigai on. Well, a couple, on. Uh, a couple, I was on tour and a guy comes up afterwards and he says, you know, I speak Japanese and it's actually pronounced icky, icky guy. And I was like, yeah, and I speak English and I'm not going to say icky guy because that just doesn't sound right. So it is the key guy. I just went, you, you just mentioned uh, Abraham uh, Heschel and you have a uh, quote from him. You have great quotes in this book that you chose. They're so right on, man. Good. Um, Good. Thank you. And this this one's called the exploding burrito, which I love. <laughs> um, but this this is really the essence of it all for me. The meaning of awe is to realize that life takes place under wide horizons, horizons that range beyond the span of an individual life or even the life of a nation, a generation, or an era. Awe enables us to perceive in the world intimations of the divine to sense in small things the beginning of infinite significance, to sense the ultimate in the common and the simple, to feel in the rush of the passing the stillness of the eternal. Fantastic, right? Oh, yeah, that quote. Oh, oh man. I know. I know. I'm with you on that. Mm, thank you I'm so much. You. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. Great um, really, talking with you. Yes, it's so lovely, uh, and and I love the work you're doing, and um, and I know many many people are benefiting from it. So well, that's very kind of you. Keep keep going. Keep keep that icky guy going. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, very is, kind of you. And uh, by the way, Rob, uh, website people can connect with you? Yes. Um, Rob Bell, R-O-B-B-E-L-L dot com is where my teachings, we just put out a new film called Everything is Spiritual about an expanding universe mm -hmm. and having an expanding heart. And then my weekly podcast is called The Robcast, mm -hmm. which you can get through the site. And it's mm -hmm. got, uh, all, I'm right now doing a series on the wisdom tradition from uh, the Hebrew scriptures, and uh, then sometimes I interview people, and it's it's good times. So all that all that's there at robbell.com. Oh, wonderful. And, of course, all the books will be there, folks, and you'll be able to yep. pick them up. And, by the way, go through the Be Here Now Network Amazon link, and then some shekels will come our way. There's my dogs. I knew we'd get a there little chorus go. going. Yeah. Uh, so, and all of this information will be on, uh, com slash mind rolling. And you'll be able to get all the links and to the books and Rob and everything else. Hey, thank you again. Uh, let's do this another time. Let, this I would love that. Pleasure. I would love that. We'll do it again. 
Okay, this is Mind Rolling on the Be Here Now Network. See you next week.